I know when I was a designer, I'm like, what are we talking about here? I could have been getting spiffs on something. I'm like, what was I missing out on? Curated, a designer podcast. Hi, and welcome to Curated. I'm your host, Daniel Reiser, along with Ann Bradley, and we are so excited to be discussing the new house bill for interior designers with Catherine Peel and Chelsea Harrell with LSRP. Um, thank you both for joining us. Uh, this is such an exciting topic for our industry, and we are looking forward to learning more today. So can you tell us about the bill for those who may not know? So I can start. Um, <laughs> Sorry, so this is Catherine Peel. Um, I serve as president of the North Carolina Board of Architecture and uh, have been, this is my second year as president, have been on the board for four years. Um, the bill, uh, well, there's been a long history of interior designers bringing to the legislature the idea of having sort of some sort of either title or practice act. This has gone, gone on for as many years as I can remember. And the last time it was brought up, um, there was a lot of resistance from particularly the American Institute of Architects um, because it was going outside of the typical occupational um, board route, which is what most states do and, and, and what North Carolina has traditionally done. So in my role as, as president of the Board of Architecture, which is you know, purely a, a governmental um, you know, we're not really political, we can't really lobby one way or the other, but we did bring up the idea of what a joint board for the architects and registered interior designers, which is what we've seen other states do. And so um, this past fall in 2020, um, the Board of Architecture, along with the task force from the interior designers, got together and worked over probably a four or five month period in uh, talking through the language, the scope, uh, and the idea of a joint board, uh, which you know I think really is a smart thing to do because uh, that way we're working together as a team. It's not two separate boards, which I think really cut you know would bring about a lot of co uh, co confusion uh, and potentially a lot of overlap and and sort of um, you know again scope issues. So we work through that. Uh, we had sort of a memorandum of understanding that came out of that. And then uh, the interior designers worked with uh, the legislators to get this, um, this brought about. And because of the, um, the language that was put forth, the American Institute of Architects really took a neutral position on it, which I think has been in the past. Um, one of the reasons that it hasn't gone through is that with the architects lobbying in the past against it, um, it, it just hasn't had any traction. So I think we came to a really good place on uh, the statute and, and what was passed. Uh, we still have a lot of work to do going forward for the rules making piece of this. Uh, so that's from my perspective, uh, the history of what happened really this last year and with this bill. Chelsea, you wanna add anything to that? Yeah, yeah Chelsea, how did you get involved um, to be an advocate uh, this bill? So our advocacy position um, on the IIDA board had been vacant for a little bit. Um, we didn't have anyone kind of filling that role actively. And so I switched positions mid-year um, to advocacy to help fill that role because this bill coming through um, was a big deal and not having someone from IIDA representing um, was presenting void. So I stepped into that role at the beginning of the year 
um, I would say most of the language had already been agreed upon um, when I entered into the conversation. Um, so I kind of took a backseat to that and I read through the bill several times to make sure um, we were okay with it. And again, most of the stuff we were 100% on board with. And like Catherine said, we have a lot um, that we still need to do in the rules making. And a lot of what um, the practitioners brought up, you know, we didn't necessarily want in the bill. So we would discuss that during rules making. Um, so that's kind of how I came on board and I've been learning every day from the great people, um, that I've been working with. It's been a great opportunity, um, working with Carrie, our lobbyist. Um, she, as most of the practitioners probably know, she went around probably three or four years ago, um, and did information educational sessions with the different city centers of IIDA. Um, so she traveled around and kind of, gave the backstory, kind of like what Catherine did previously. Um, and at that point in time, this was a completely different bill. Um, and so we've been working with her for a while. And so working with her, we've been able to um, get some of the legislators more on our side and understanding of it, um, what this means going forward, that this mainly impacts small businesses. Um, and so it's been, it's been a great journey um, and we still have a long road ahead of us, so. Well, very cool. Well, we truly appreciate everybody, y'all, the two of you guys and, you know, everybody else that, that help participate and make this a reality. Um, so I think, Chelsea, what you said is, you know, this is more affecting smaller firms. So I guess one of the questions I had um, is, do you guys think, you know, and Catherine, you know, from an L in your leadership role in LS3P, do you think this is something that firms, larger architectural firms are going to start letting or do having the license for interior designers to, to seal? Or do you think this is more, like you said, Chelsea, affecting smaller interior design firms and that's probably where it will benefit more? I was just curious if you had any thoughts on that. I think it definitely will benefit the small firms. Um, I don't necessarily know that it's going to change anything about how we're working. I mean, every every large architectural firm is probably going to have their own policy about who signs the seals drawings. Uh, some firms will only allow principals to sign. Yeah. You know, um, project managers. You know, studio leaders. You know, officers in the company. So I think it will be different for every firm. We certainly will encourage our interior designers that meet the qualifications uh, to obtain registration really for their own sort of professional mm -hmm. growth and development. Um, so, I, but I don't think it's really going to change that much about how we work, but I, I definitely think smaller firms that, that have not had the ability to, to do this work um, will have the opportunity now to do so. Okay. All right. I was I just curious. Okay. I was just curious about that because I do know, um, you know, a lot of times, you know, and I think it's like you said, firm specific, you know, if you have a group within your firm that focuses most, and I'm speaking from a personal experience is like working mostly on workplace type projects, you know, you're in the meat of the project and then you pull in an architect to seal the drawings who may, might not necessarily know everything. I mean, you know, sometimes they don't, sometimes they do, it just depends. But I just didn't know, you know, if, if like maybe some firms would look into, okay, so we have this group that does mostly fit up work and it's, you know, within the bill. And so we will, 
pay for the licensure for interior designers to seal and these drawings. So that I was just curious about what your thoughts were on that. So yeah, we haven't really gone down that road yet. Um, you know, and again, we the, the thing we run into is most most of our employees don't want to sign and seal drawings. Well, I mean, I, I, get, I <laughs> yeah. mean, it's, that's funny you say that, yeah. Catherine, because yeah. that's one of the things it's like, okay, yay, but now I don't really want yeah. to do that. <laughs> yeah. no, our, a lot of our architects don't want to sign and seal. Right, so, right, yeah. right. I, yeah. I gave, I was like, I will continue to do my job and I will still walk down the hallway and say, hey, can you review these and stay with them for me? Although I will register as just like a personal professional thing. I think it's important regardless yeah. of if you're actively stamping and signing. I mean, like Catherine said, some some um, architecture firms, you know, everyone has a license, but only one person stamps and signs. Right. It's more the principle behind it than yeah. necessarily the action. I think yeah. the important thing is responsible control. And that's mm -hmm. that's really the language within um, within our statute is is. Uh, you know, the person that has responsible control for the design really needs to be the one signing and sealing the drawings um, and not just, just stamping drawings. So, right. You're yeah. not familiar with, so. Yeah. Can you talk through the registration process in general? Yeah. So what's in the, um, the language is, you know, uh, meeting the requirements of NCIDQ is going to um, allow you to apply for registration. So, if you meet those requirements, the education, the training, uh, then you should be able to become registered. And again, the term that we're using is registered, not licensed, mm -hmm. uh, in order to align with registered architects, which is a language in our statutes in North Carolina. That's awesome. Yeah, I think we're going to see a surge in designers wanting to get the qualification and registration and, and meet those requirements um, because of this, if this is something they've are interested in doing because prior to it, a lot of designers were saying, well, I don't really see a need or what do I gain from it? You know, if certain firms don't even really give, you know, promotion or raises tied to it, I've just known a lot of people say, I don't really need it for what I'm doing. Yeah. So I think we're going to see this kind of, uh, people take the initiative to get that registration to progress in their career. So that's exciting. It is. And I think it's important too, because, um, I mean, you know, it is one way to separate, you know, the interior design, commercial interior design profession against decorators. And I don't mean that disrespectfully to decorators, but what I do every day is different than what someone who practices interior decoration does. And so... Are you saying you're not a wallpaper fairy? Is that what I'm hearing? No, I'm not. And we did, um, we did take that in consideration when we were going through all of the verbiage. We didn't want to isolate any group of people. Um, so we did make sure that everything we put in was voluntary. It was not a requirement. We did not want anyone to feel left out or anyone to feel like this is something they had to do to do their job. Um, so that was one thing that we did take into consideration. We did talk with like the kitchen bath association, um, and all those folks to make sure everyone was kind of on the same page with this. Cause we didn't want anyone singled out. Um, yeah. and then to the registration, um, it is, it does not go into effect until 2022. So we have time, <laughs> we have time before all of that starts happening and to educate all kinds of folks about everything that is within, um, this bill. 
I think and the I think thing to understand is um, sort of a difference in, um, you know, in North Carolina, the term architect, you have to be registered to use that term, period. Uh, and if you, if you use the term architect and you're not registered, then you can, um, you know, come under uh, a fee or uh, get disciplined by the Board of Architecture. Interior design, everyone felt is different because that is a widely used term. And so coming to the term of registered interior designer is going to be what that differentiation is. So there still will be lots of interior designers, lots of interior decorators mm -hmm. that, you know, that won't have the ability to sign and seal drawings. Yeah. I think you guys brought up a good point about having a year to educate people. So we now have a bill. So I know that you know, personally, just, you know, in my career, you know, having to, you know, explain what I do and to certain people that maybe do, that do not understand architect or not. But I wonder if you guys have any thoughts on, you know, how we can educate people in our community about what we do and, you know, what the bill truly means and what we can and can't do. And I just didn't know if you had any thoughts on helping educate more people about this bill and what the actual interior design profession does. So what a registered interior design per person does. Yeah, I know we're already planning some events um, just in IDA to um, inform the IDA community. And I know I've brought up, you know, this needs to be open to everyone. Um, so I have, made myself available. I know there's a thing that's happening in Raleigh in the fall. Um, we're going to go and talk about it there. Um, so from an IDA perspective, we're setting up multiple dates and educational forums, whether that be virtual or in person, just to inform the community. Um, and I am pushing for that to be open to everyone, regardless of IDA status, um, just because it's more than interior designers that need to be educated on this. Um, and then I think there will be other avenues for that as well for um, educating different groups. Okay. The, um, the North Carolina Board of Architecture and Re Registered Interior Designers, that's a mouthful. Um, <laughs> our, um, our first um, members will be appointed or supposed to be appointed by October 1st. Mm -hmm. um, we will continue to work uh, with a task force on the rulemaking piece of this because we also need to pull in Department of Insurance. We mm -hmm. need to pull in building code officials inspectors, you know, plan reviewers uh, from an educational perspective for them to understand what they can and cannot accept uh, with the registered interior designers seal and stamp on it. So it's, it's not going to be an overnight thing. It's going to take probably a number of years to get um, everyone up to speed on, on again, what the scope of this bill allows and does not allow. Yeah, and that makes that makes complete sense. I mean, it's new, it's fresh. Do we have, or do you guys, for the board, who are our interior designer representatives? Do you have those people? They haven't been just okay. Been named yet? Named yet? Yeah. Okay, I was just curious. I think it will be going through the governor. So, is my understanding, the governor will be um, uh, will be appointing those. Awesome. Yeah. So, what do you think was the hardest part in this process? 
in general? I know that this has been in the works for years. For me, I mean, but, I work um, Catherine, if you want to elaborate on, you know, the reason why you decided to, you know, step in um, and just talk about, you know, the highs and the lows, I think that would be interesting to hear since you guys have been. Interior designers in our firm like Chelsea that I know what their capabilities are. I know the work that they do on the particularly the, you know, commercial and workplace. Uh, and so rather just, just saying no, I was all about how do we get to yes and how do we bring everybody together, um, including the AIA, mm -hmm. um, because at a national level, they, um, they get a lot of pressure to say no, right? And so um, Dave Crawford, who I've worked with for many years, I was, was president of AIA as well. And so I have to sort of take that hat on, hat off and put on the board of architecture hat. It's very different. Um, but we brought him to the table um, as well as just to make sure that we had, um, you know, as he was not part of the conversation with the task, you know, the task force of writing, um, you know, what we thought was a good, uh, good scope, but we did bring him into review afterwards and, you know, just ask the question is some, is this something that AIA can support? And again, they took the, the, you know, sort of the route of we're going to remain neutral. We're not going to oppose it, which is really, I think, what helped this go forward. That was the biggest step. I remember sitting in the General Assembly building and being told that AIA would remain neutral. And I was like, what? Like, this hasn't happened before. What does this mean? Um, yeah. And then when Dave stood up and said AIA would remain neutral, I think it was kind of like a breath of relief um, through all of us. So that was that was a big step in the right direction. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. The difference, what the difference was for our listeners between the last bill and this bill and why AIA decided to become neutral on this bill, what changed their mind? Because I know that they were very much against the last one. So I was just curious. Um, I think that the scope of practice was more clearly defined. Okay. Um, there, was, there was, I think, a lot of confusing language in the previous bill. And again, the idea of trying to have interior designers be under the umbrella of Department of Insurance. Mm -hmm. uh, they were very opposed to that. The Board of Architecture, you know, again, we have to stay neutral, but we were concerned about the confusion that would come out of that. That's not what they do. Um, they did not want it, um, you know, and, and, you know, instead of going the occupational board route, which is what other professionals do, mm -hmm. um, that, that was just a non-starter, I think, for the AIA. They just felt it was going to be incredibly confusing um, for building code officials and inspectors. Okay. okay. Yeah, that was the biggest change was the board and the scope of practice. And I think we did a really good job of defining that this time around, the scope of practice. I had a specific question um, that I saw in the bill, and I wanted to see if you guys could clarify it with me, but I did see that it said that um, registered interior designers could not change exit or exiting stairs. Um, so my question to you, and maybe I just don't understand, or maybe I'm misunderstanding, but, um, you know, when we do test fits and for, for fit ups, you know, we have to determine where those exits are and making sure that they're far enough apart, depending on if it's a sprinkler or non-sprinkler building. Is that what it's referring to? Like, I know stairs typically are in place by the time we get to a renovation project. So I was just curious what what that meant and what that means for us. Yeah, I mean, the the if you look at it from sort of a core and shell perspective of what okay. an architect would typically do, okay. I mean, we're responsible for setting up the occupancy um, 
uh, for the entire building. For instance, if it's a business occupancy, then we're calculating the entire floor, we're calculating the width of the main exit corridor, we're calculating the size of the stair and the doors in order to accommodate that. Um, so the thought is that if an interior designer is doing a fit up space within there, you, you can't change that overall building system okay. because it affects more than just your space, it affects other tenants in the building and affects the life safety for the entire building. Okay. Uh, we also included in there a change in occupancy uh, is not allowed under a uh, registered interior designer because again, if you change from a business to an assembly occupancy, all of a sudden you could have double the number of people in that building and it would affect the overall exit ways and the exit stairs, which are part of that core building. So um, I think changing a, a building, a door, where a door exits into that main exit way, I don't think is an issue. It's just okay. changing the main paths of egress in the building. So if you think about the exterior doors or the doors that are already, so if you get a completely empty building plan, all of your exiting pathways are already there, all your exiting doors, all of your stairs, those are already established. You're creating an upfit within that. Mm -hmm. So as long as you're not changing the occupancy, you should fit within those means of egress and your doors still have to comply with um all of the code as far as that as yes then you have to comply with the tenant the, the occupancy within the space that you're fitting up has to have the proper uh door opening to get out into the main exit way exactly okay well thank you i figured that's okay. what that was it so is there anything else you guys want to elaborate on or add um to help educate i mean really i haven't seen much publication we know that this is fresh yeah. on the press so here we just want to make sure that we're putting enough information out that we have, but knowing that, you know, there's a process. So is there anything else you guys want to cover? I just think that over the next couple of months, there's going to be a lot of information coming out. Um, kind of the bill is what it is. It's the language that we have. Um, there's definitely um, room to ask questions like the exiting um, question that you had, Anne, and I think those are important questions um, for us to go ahead and field now. But over the next six months, again, like Catherine, I mentioned, there's going to be rules. The registration is going to get set up. There's going to be a ton of information coming out. So I think everyone understanding the bill right now and asking those questions is important so that when the big step comes out for everyone to register and kind of understand not only the language in the bill um, and the scope of practice in that, but also um, the ramifications of registering as well. So because there, there will be um, information coming out from the board about what all of that is, because it's not just signing a piece of paper and saying, okay, I can do this now. You know, there are ramifications to that. Um, and I think understanding all of that. So first step is understanding the bill. And then the second step is understanding what exactly it means to register. And part of that is us doing that education piece. And as we um, make the decisions and get the information readily available, it's going to be up to the board, up to IDA, ASID, all of us to kind of get out there and make that information available and make ourselves available to answer those questions. I get questions on a daily basis through email, Instagram, all kinds of things. Um, so I am answering questions as they come into myself. And I think that's just the biggest piece right now. So for my end, um, one thing that I think we're going to have to work through and that people that interior designers are going to have to understand is that they, if they become a registered interior designer, they're under the same rules as the architects in terms of uh, for public projects, um, you cannot in any way specify anything that you are getting uh, commission or um, 
you know, percentage of. So uh, a lot of interior designers are used to being able to, part of their income is from the commission that they get on the sales of certain products. So that will not be allowed on public projects. And I think there also is going to be, I'm guessing some language, I'm stepping out here, but I think there will be some language about uh, notifying clients on the private side if you are associated with the sales of any of the products that you were specifying uh, and would be receiving any uh, commissions on that. So that may push some interior designers from not wanting to go down that route, you know, um, and and I think we have to be really clear about that, that, you know, it's it's a um, it's an ethical situation. And so uh, you're they're going to be under the same uh, rules that we are as architects. Yeah, you can't double dip. So right. um, I 100% agree with that. And I think that's, I feel like I'm, it's mostly residential or hospitality, smaller firms that, that, that get that kind of stuff. I don't, I've, but anyway, no, I'm 100% in agreement. You can't, can't double dip on that. So, so. I know when I was a designer, I'm like, what are we talking about here? I could have been getting spiffs on something. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> what was I missing out on? <laughs> so, no, I definitely agree. I think it's more hospitality and residential driven, but really good information to know. Do y'all, um, I know that Chelsea, you are a great resource and you're answering questions. Where's a good place for people to go and look um, as time goes on to see published information? Is it IDA's website? Um, Where's that a good location that we can find more information on this? Chelsea, the rules will be published on the Board of Architecture and Registered Interior Designers website. And so um, that's where the official um, the official stuff needs to come from. Uh, certainly, ID and others can link to that, but the rules, the statute, all of that will be on our website as that, as that moves forward. Yes, I agree. I would say IDA has kind of, um, I don't want to say taking a backseat, but we're definitely taking our lead from the board and from IDA HQ. Um, like I knew the bill passed a week and a half before we were allowed to actually announce it because HQ wanted to do an official national press release. So um, we kind of fall behind them. Um, and then we also fall behind, obviously, the Board of Architecture and Registered Interior Designers. And we take their lead in putting that information out there. So as it becomes available to us and we are given permission to share it, um, we typically send out a newsletter to all of our members. We post it on social media for those that aren't members but want to follow us. Um, but from IDA stance, we do take kind of a backseat to the board and to headquarters just because they get the official say in what we are and are not allowed to share. So um, I guess I just any other things that you guys want to talk about the bill? I think that was all the questions that I had, but I did want to say if it hasn't been noticed yet, which was something that I thought was really cool, was it is now the North Carolina Board of Architecture and in Registered Interior Design. I know you said that a few times, Catherine, but I think that's just, that that's really cool. Really cool. As members will get um, seated the deadline is october 1st for the governor to name those and then i think the rest of the bill goes into effect uh, january 1 2022 i will say it's very fun for me um because i came from uh i went to school in a state where there was legislature um for interior designers and it was kind of really pushed on us to go to work in states that had legislature um, for their interior designers um, the head of our department, she actually led the coalition for that legislature, and she got license one, if you will. I know it's going to be 
the race to the first 10 license or registrations. Um, and so when I was able to call her and be like, Hey, we have, we have a bill. And she was like, seriously. And I was like, yes. Um, she's like, okay, well maybe we can get more designers to go to North Carolina. Cause I'm currently only one from my university. <laughs> so that's practicing in North Carolina. Um, so I think it's going to open up the industry a little more to get more designers to come here from outside of North Carolina um, gives a little bit more incentive. So that's exciting. Um, I'll be interested to see how the industry changes over the next coming years um, due to this. Well, thank you guys. I, you know, personally am so appreciative of all your effort in getting this passed. I mean, I'm very passionate about what I do and um, I, I love commercial interior design and um, this is just only going to help help that or you know help all of us so I really appreciate y'all's effort. Yes thank you and thank you for joining us today this has been an awesome discussion I think everyone is extremely excited that knows about it but we all kind of wanted to know more and understand it and those that have just are now hearing about it for the first time. So I think there's a lot of different levels of knowledge. So we appreciate you guys joining us and going over all the details. Thanks guys. Hope you have a lovely afternoon. And Have a good day. Guys. All right. Bye. Bye.